everyone always has something to say relative to education. I think the fact that so many people have opinions and perspectives on the schools is wonderful. School districts are very complicated. I will tell you that assumptions get made and sometimes they're correct and many times they are not. And I want to help people understand. We are educating kids for their future, not our past. Welcome to episode four of Leading Education with Jeff Rose. We've changed the name up, Jeff. We have, right? Yeah. It was the Jeff Rose podcast. Now it's Leading Education with Jeff Rose. I think uh, I think the concept of leading education more relates to the variety of topics that we've talked about, but more importantly, what we're going to talk about in the future. Jeff, we're talking about decision making today. And when I think about my situation in, in, in a business, uh, I, I'm pretty much making decisions all day long. In fact, I'm reminded of something G.W. Bush said when he was president. He said basically he was the decider-in-chief, right? And that's pretty much all he did all day long, and I could identify with that because you have people working for you. They're experts. You have information that may or may not be timely or complete, and it's you never really have enough. You, you always have to have um, some level. You always take some level of risk in making decisions. But one thing that's true about a leader is you pretty much make decisions all the time. And people are affected by them. And they have consequences. And so that contributes to the, to the, response, the level of responsibility that you feel as a leader. Well, I mean, I would agree. And I think that the reason this issue is very important is because, number one, as a leader— you are required to make a variety of decisions throughout the day. Um, but most importantly, the recipient is the one who is truly impacted by decisions. So True. I know teachers, students, families are often the ones in education who are receiving the other end of that particular decision. And I do know that everyone can relate to being so curious relative to who made the decision and why they decided <laughs> because of course it impacts them personally. So I think this is important because as the recipient of decisions that are made on your behalf, it's something for really everyone to pay attention to. Right. And of course, everybody's always second guessing your decisions as well. And when, in fact, when they are second guessing too often, what we know is it erodes trust and especially in a school setting. I think it's okay for leaders to make decisions and not always have to explain every single detail to the entire community specific to why. Right. However, the more often you do that, the more trust gets eroded over time, especially in the educational setting. Okay, and so we're going to talk about your framework and your approach to making decisions today. We are, and I think that really the, the biggest challenge for the educational leader is these two specific things they have to consider, which is one, at what level should the decision may, be made? So who makes the decision? 
because the leader in terms of the person who is quote in charge of everything should not be making every decision right that would be unwise and nor would it be helpful because often they don't understand the detail or nuance specific to what's happening on the ground floor so that's number one who makes a decision and number two it's how so you know what process should be implemented what sort of decision-making strategy which data should be con considered so that who and how are very critical to decision-making process Okay, I want to ask you a quick question as far as number one goes and the level of decision that should be made. Do you have a sense or a rule of thumb about percentage-wise? Should the 70% of the decisions be made by somebody below you, or should is there a different mix you think is optimal? For uh, I've never thought about it that way. To okay. be quite honest, I've never yeah. considered percentage. I think that every decision is sometimes situational. Mm -hmm. um, so I've never really thought about it in terms of percent. Okay. Let's talk about a practical strategy. I know you've got an approach for this. In terms of the level the decision should be made at and the process, what's a practical strategy that you've used in making decisions? And then obviously we'd love to hear some examples. When I transitioned from becoming a teacher to becoming a principal, I knew that I wanted to come up with something because I had been the recipient of decisions, district level decisions, decisions being made at the school level. And I just wanted to create clarity for those that I was working with and trying to lead. And so I came up with a strategy that has stuck with me throughout my entire career. I call it the one, two, three strategy. And it's fairly simple. Number one decision is a decision that I've made or I'm making, period. It's usually a decision people don't want to make anyway. It's usually fairly small and minute, but I'm very clear. This is a number one decision. A number two strategy is where I need to get feedback. I need to ask people, how will this impact you? What do I need to know? And I clearly ask them so they give me the perspective or detail that will help me as the leader make the decision. And number three decision is consensus. The concept of we don't leave the room until we decide together. And consensus, by the way, from my perspective, isn't just the majority. If you take a vote with those that you are leaving and leading, excuse me, and 55% raise their hand in favor of decision, that's not quality. That's, that's, <laughs> that's not, not quality. quality <laughs> that's not going to work. Right. You're going to run into a lot of problems in the future. Right. So you have to have some protocols relative to reaching a number three, but a number three decision is consensus. Right. And what I have learned over time is making clear the decision prior to it really has a huge impact. If you let people know, everyone on this topic, I am making a number one, a number two, or we are making a number three, it makes a dramatic difference in terms of those who are on the receiving end of that decision, right. being able to trust and understand. And it's a decision process that's worked for me for many, many years. So did you, when you came up with this, I'm very intrigued by this, by the way. So, so when you came up with this, did you did you communicate that, hey, these, these are the level of, of, this is how I look at decisions, and this is what they all mean? Yes, in fact, I not only started with that, but I still do. So when I enter into an organization as a new person, I let them know, this is how I decide. I will be making number one decisions, as everyone would hope I do. I will be making number two, and we will be making number three. 
and this is what it looks like, and I will let you know prior to the decision. And if I forget, feel free to ask me. Right. Is this a number one, two, or three? Right. And I think that level of clarity as a leader not only helps me, but helps others understand and establish trust in the system. All right, I love this, okay, so this is fantastic. I'm sure everybody listening now, like myself, is really tuned in on this. What are some examples? So just take us through it. Like number one is a decision you make on your own. Talk about some examples of each level of decision-making, and then we'll go from there. Okay, I will definitely give you some examples. Now, number one, decisions are usually so small and specific, people just expect you to make them. In fact, if you go to them with a process for number one decisions, usually they'll end up fairly frustrated. Uh, Number two decisions, I can remember many examples, but one specifically was when I was in a school district and a controversial play was decided on. A now play. There, you a mean play. like a production? A like production a, a at a high production. school. Okay. Absolutely. In fact, we had a system at the time where there was a committee and the play selections went through a committee. Of course. And the principal and vice principals and teachers and theater departments sat on this committee and they decided on a particular play. That was their decision, not mine as a superintendent, nor did I want any part of it. However, a decision was made based upon a particular play, <laughs> and as soon as the community heard about this, well, let's just say there were rumblings. There was a lot of rumors. And um, as soon as it got to my office, and I was not the first to hear about it, I could almost understand why. As I researched the title of that play and some of the content, I knew that we were headed towards some difficult times. Right. I decided to do nothing for a while. That, I mean, that's a really important decision. Sometimes you have to decide to do nothing. Okay. I let it sit, but over time, I realized that this issue was going to continue to build. Now, so, I don't mind... Oh, go ahead. Well, no, I'm, I'm just saying, when you say you let it sit, uh, did you ignore people asking, you know, did you ignore someone's request to hear from the superintendent? Did you... Um, were you hearing from people directly? Was there this expectation that you were going to make a statement? Sure. I think that uh, that often happens. The decision, you know, bubbles up in the community requesting that somebody on high decide quickly (laughs) in their favor, correct? Sure. So, uh, yes. However, I made the intentional decision to let them know that we do have a process and I needed to investigate. I needed some time to understand how this decision was made, why it was made, and I wanted some time because I wanted to analyze truly what was going on. Okay. For me to just jump right in probably wouldn't have been the healthy thing to do because that wasn't my decision in the first place. According to policy, it was not my decision. So, you know, following that chain of command was really important. Okay. And I did. So I sat on that for a while. Okay. And over time, I I came to the place that I realized I was going to have to make a shift in the decision-making process. And I took that decision from the committee. I basically met with them and I said, I'm making a number one decision to pull this decision from you because I saw where this was headed and I don't mind controversy. In fact, you know, sometimes really healthy discourse back and forth can be a really good thing for a community. And um, I don't mind differences in opinion. However, I saw that this was potentially going to get to um, a dangerous place in the community. And so I went to the community and said, I am going to make this decision. That's number one. Right. And was this popular with them? Well, they didn't like that I took it from them. 
But I also think they felt relieved. Okay, because they were facing the scrutiny as well. And every time that I, as a superintendent, was saying, this is actually not my decision, it was putting more pressure on them. Right. And this kind of goes back to your comment about how sometimes other people's decisions impact you. But in this case, you are actually doing them a favor. As a leader, you are saying, look, this has to now become a number one decision. I was doing them a favor. I was trying to do the community a favor. Right now, well, you're they're, trying to do the right thing. I, I probably exactly. misspoke when I said favor, but you did them a favor, certainly, right? I mean, they they certainly must have been relieved that you were now taking this as a number one decision. Well, they were relieved in some sense. However, they were concerned specific to what decision would be made. I didn't tell them what the decision was. I just let them know, right? I am taking this decision, and I will need some time to right. determine the direction and route that we're going to take. Okay, so now that the suspense is built. Exactly. So <laughs> basically what I did from there was I took this decision and I decided that it would end up as a number two. So by pulling it, it was a number one. Okay. And then I said I'm going to establish a number two decision-making process where I'm going to reach out, meet with the committee, meet with students, begin to meet with the community, gather their perspective like a number two decision does. Right. And based upon... That information, I will determine what we do relative to either performing the play or not. And I ended up with an ultimatum back to the committee and the theater department at the high school saying we have two choices. One, we do two plays. We still have a number of months to prepare. So we do one, quote, family-friendly play. We advertise it accordingly. We do the play that you had decided upon and advertise it accordingly, or we do zero plays this year. So I gave the decision to the committee. The then committee decided that even though it would be extra work and extra finance, because putting on a high school production does cost money and a lot of time, but they decided, in fact, they were so focused on being able to perform that play initially they wanted to hold on to it. It was okay. important to them, and okay. it's important to their art. Okay, yeah. And they made that choice intentionally, so therefore, they understood my rationale. Sure. And even if they didn't agree with it, they understood it, and I ended up making a number two decision on behalf of the community and the high school, and it ended up in an okay place, actually. Okay, that's great. I think it also illustrates maybe a little bit better and clears up some confusion for me around number one decisions. I thought I heard before that number one decisions are kind of small sometimes and insignificant, and why would you even make it a level two decision? But I'm starting to see that a level one has a little bit more complexity to it sometimes. It sometimes does, yeah. I mean, and sometimes I would tell you this, that a, a leader may rush to a number one. So they feel pressured. So in this example specifically, right. they may feel pressured and decide, no more play for you. Right, right. right. And that probably would have been the wrong decision. But they would have made it in haste. Sure. Would have made it because they want to, you know, take that leadership position. But in this particular case, it worked out in my favor just by taking the decision from them, putting it on my desk, and then creating a process once I did that. I don't think you mean that they're small decisions, or, or because most small decisions you would just delegate to somebody, right? Sure. Well, cool. so for example, if you take um, a number one decision, I'm not saying the leader always has to be the one making the number one. So for example, if staff were to come to me at any point in time and say, listen, we're working on this particular celebration. We have two venues for which we're trying to decide. 
you know, venue A and venue B for this particular event, what do you think that they should be? Well, in a case like that, I may say, well, listen, if you're struggling with a venue, I am not a venue decider. Right. Go ahead and make the number one decision. Got it. So, so th- you go back and you decide specifically what that is. We don't need to vote and you don't even need my opinion. Got it. So to be clear, a number one decision is a decision made by one person. Correct. Bingo. That's what I was looking for. Okay, great. So you, you can delegate it uh, a decision as a number one decision. Absolutely. And then you can make, you can basically... I don't know what the opposite of delegate is, but it's essentially you can take the responsibility for making a number one decision. That's also correct. Perfect. All right, great. Awesome. Thank you. All right, so let's move on to number three decisions. Give us some examples. Or or did you have more examples of number two decisions? Well, no, I mean, I think number three, once again, for the leader, the challenge is determining what decision should be number one, two, or three. But if they are explained ahead of time... Then that makes a dramatic difference. If everybody understands how the decision process works. Correct. Okay, very good. So in terms of number three, one specific example stands out for me. One year as a superintendent, I was working in a school district where we knew there was going to be a revenue shortfall. It was going to be anywhere between 40 and $50 million for the next year, and therefore we were going to have to reduce the budget. This is not something that I wanted to do in a vacuum in my office, nor would that have been the right decision um, because I needed more information. So we established a system, a process. Number one, we let the community know. We made sure that they were aware prior to even starting a process that we were in dire financial circumstances. Uh, Number two, I created an all hands on deck model. We created an internal budget team And those teams were going to work for many months, all in the same room, coming up with recommendations based upon their area of expertise. So, for example, elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, central office, and all departments knew that a reduction of $50 million was going to impact everyone. So they went through a zero-based budgeting process, building the budget from the ground up, and then in teams made the recommendations to me. From there, I took those recommendations, basically put them together as pieces to a puzzle, and I rolled it back out to that internal budget committee. And I was clear that this is a number three decision. We are not gonna leave this room until we decide this is the best and most efficient way to build our budget and simultaneously make a dramatic reduction a reduction that would actually impact people because we're gonna be laying off hundreds of people with a reduction that size. Right. That team went through a consensus model and we came to consensus. By the end of the process, and this is not something we did overnight, we all agreed that the superintendent recommendation to the school board was something that our departments and many of our principals, because they had been part of the process, could agree upon this was the healthiest way to make the reduction. Okay, so let me net this out then, because I think this is important to the listener. So the very first thing you did was you decided what decisions had to be made. And then the very next thing you did is communicated to everyone involved, this is how these decisions are going to be made, whether it's a number one, a number two, or a number three decision. So the important thing seems to be clear communication and clear definition of what decisions need to be made and how and what level, very similar to what you articulated at the beginning. That's exactly right. In fact, it really helped when I went to the school board and the community 
in the end and said, this is exactly how we came to these decisions. Yeah. Even though this is my budget recommendation to the school board, we as an internal budget team went through this process and this is how we decided that this recommendation was the best one. The school board, in turn, went through a very similar process. They vetted and then they voted. Right, and if the vote was, you know, 55 to 45, well, we would have been nervous. However, the board and budget committee came to also consensus that regardless of how painful it was going to be, we were in agreement that this was the most strategic and best way to make the reduction, and then, of course, hopefully over time, build the budget back. Fantastic. Well, that's a great example of a situation where it's not one decision, it's multiple decisions that may lead to other decisions, but really the clear communication of it and the definition of a process is just critical. So um, I have a question. Have you taught this before? How do you teach this? How long, uh, you know, I'm just curious. Well, I teach it all the time. I find that as a leader, like I mentioned before, I started as my first year as a principal. Right. Um, I was trying to think about a strategy on how to communicate to this new staff that we were going to come together and operate as a team, but everyone had different roles on that team. And as the principal, I had a different role. Right. And so I wanted them to be clear and I wanted to establish trust and I wanted to have quality communication throughout. So I have found that it's not so much about teaching. It's actually about just explaining and then practicing it. And over time, people understand. In fact, it was always really good news when I would make a decision and someone would challenge me and say, hey, Jeff, is this a number one, two or three decision? Right. Like, how did you come up with this? Right. with this at this place for us. Well, and that, that's actually a great example of what happens when you communicate a process like that. A team or, or a group of people end up using a common language, right? So when that person comes to you and says, hey, is this a number one decision? You know what that means. She Precisely. knows what, what that means. Agreed. And that's a real common element or an important element to high performance teams. So would you as a superintendent uh, have taught this and, and pushed this down to the organization? Um, have you have you done that before, or would you recommend that to somebody, or do you keep it at your level mostly and let other, for instance, if you're the superintendent, do you did you have an urge to push this down to the principals and kind of push this on them, or did you keep it up at the admin level? Oh, you know, my strategy was always to explain it to principals uh, throughout the organization, but I did not demand it. So I did not say this is how you make decisions. I was always clear. This is how I will make decisions and communicate them accordingly. In fact, I can tell you one time I was interviewing a student uh, and it was actually one of those processes where seniors have to go through these interviews and for a capstone project. And I was just, you know, an interviewer amongst hundreds at a particular high school. And I was interviewing a student who was in student leadership and I asked her, so how do you make decisions? And she said, you know, I have this strategy. I call it the one, two, three strategy. And she described the very thing that I had been describing for years in that particular place. Wow. So I, I got a kick out of that. I'll bet. I asked the principal sure. um, yeah. how she may have known as a student the one, two, three strategy. And he said, well, I use it and I let our teachers know it. And that particular teacher who leads student government had talked about that with the kids. Yeah. And so I found that to be Wow. So I didn't demand it. I didn't expect it. I just explained it and practiced it. Well, I got to tell you, Jeff, um, I was a business major. 
I've had numerous supervisory roles, uh, being a, you know, whatever CEO, the whole deal. I've never heard such a simple decision-making process. I think a lot of us are excited to hear it. It's a great framework. Um, and most important, I think that at some level we do that intuitively. I think what we fail to do a lot is to communicate to other people how we're making decisions and make it clear a language and a taxonomy almost of like, here's those, you know, here's how this works. Yeah. People who are impacted by decisions are going to be much more thoughtful in their reaction when they have that delineation between each level. So that begs the question, Jeff. That's a you know as as a sort of a segue here in 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 pointing the way towards future topics on this. Um, there's some heavy duty issues that superintendents and principals are facing right now that they have to make decisions about. And so I would love to know. What you think those are? I think everybody listening would would wants to know, like, you know, where where do you order those issues, and what do you think the most important ones are? Can you talk a little bit about that? So, Jason, you're asking about big issues in education. Yeah. Well, I think that if we put this in the context of making decisions, it will tease out why these are so difficult and complicated. And this is not an exhaustive list, and they're not actually in any particular order. But a few issues in education that are just hard for the system to focus on and come to results with uh, would be these. Number one, results, academic results continue to be challenged by issues of poverty. Mm. So students of uh, specific race and language, yeah. ethnicity, it it continues to haunt education that some places are successful, sometimes based upon zip code, and mm -hmm. others are not. Right. And schools and districts are doing a better job at this compared to when we first learned through the famous article, A Nation at Risk, mm. was written that we need to pay attention to these issues. However, I will say, the context of creating a system relative to equity, equity means it's not the same for everyone, that we have to sometimes provide for students and communities differently based upon their particular need. Those systems are really hard to establish. And school districts throughout the country are working on this, but it is not an overnight fix. And those issues specific to poverty and ensuing results continue to be a dramatic challenge. Assessment. You know, in our yearning for creating accountability in schools for the past 20 plus years, because I believe in accountability, and I would assume you would too. Yeah. And we have it's gone really, <laughs> really far, yes. right? The pendulum has swung so in, in one direction, it's really hard to get it back to a balanced state. Uh, absolutely. And the time of our students taking assessment, the level of stress and anxiety that goes into testing right all relative to wanting to be accountable for academic results right um has created a level of complexity that i don't think parents want i know kids don't and yeah. yet we have created this challenge for ourselves oh absolutely um what teachers, an issue it's a huge issue teachers i i'm really worried about teachers right now okay I think in this country, we, we know for a fact that teacher morale is at an all-time low. At an all-time mm. low. Two-thirds of teachers would not recommend to their students or their own children to go to into become, education as a profession. Uh, yeah. So two-thirds of teachers. I think that's sad. When we know that eight out of ten teachers feel as though they are not valued not just within their school, but even outside the doors of their school, in their own communities, that's something we should be scared of. 
high attrition rates of teachers. And by the way, we are in an all-time shortage right now, and we predict that will only continue to grow over the future years. So I'm really worried about how teachers feel specific to their jobs, but what we're going to do to create a better climate and culture focused on supporting and loving and admiring our teachers. Wow. Yeah. Curriculum and standards. I think that we continue to try to hone curriculum and standards, but the fact is the world is so dramatically different right now. If we think we're going to be able to teach the amount of content kids are going to need to be successful when they leave us, I think we're kidding ourselves. And what we do is, I feel, we are sometimes training and teaching students to be good in school. Don't get me started. This is not the intent of right. school. Yeah, no. Is to yeah, help right. kids become successful in school. The intent of school should be to help them be successful when they leave us. Right. And what we know from the economy right now, yeah. Right? We learn from business and industry, they are saying what we need is People who can adapt and adjust, they can be critical thinkers, they can think outside of the box, and they know how to be creative with some really complex problems. Right, right. And I feel as though some of the experiences and curriculum and standard in school don't directly translate to the future economy, and that worries me. Yeah, it worries me. It worries parents. And no, these are big issues, right? Right. That's not the biggest. Those are not the biggest issues. Um, in my opinion, there's one particular issue that still haunts me. I know. And uh, it makes it difficult for me to rest. And by the way, if you ask me what is the solution, I would have to honestly say I don't know yet. I just don't know yet. And I think the biggest issue right now that we should all be focused on is safety. Yeah. Now, I think safety is a fairly big umbrella. I am talking about the pragmatic safety of students in mm-hmm. school. And we know that... We are haunted by some of the um, tragedies and, um, you know, some of the ongoing school shootings that have happened over time. Right. I will also say this, that safety is more than just the pragmatic physical safety of students because the social and emotional challenges of our students is also something that you and I can't relate to. Right. So it's, it's beyond cameras and locks on the doors and an officer standing there. It's deeper than that. It's, it's actually both, which makes it complicated because it is that. However, it is also beyond that. Mm-hmm. And it's something we should, we should just pay attention to. I will tell you that school shootings, and we learned this even just in 2018, was an all-time high. Right, so it's never, we've never had as many school shootings since we've been tracking it going back into the 1970s. We know that um, this year, this past year, was the worst in terms of deaths and injuries. 2018. 2018 uh, was the worst. We also know that over the decades, the casualties in school just continues to rise. Whether those are um, isolated incidents or some of these mass shootings that have happened in schools Mm -hmm. and all-time rise. Simultaneously, the anxiety, the social and emotional challenges of our kids is also at an all-time high. So as it relates to issues of safety, it's not just about keeping kids safe, it's about kids actually feeling safe. And what we know right now is that kids don't. And we have learned that through just the credible increases 
in terms of issues of anxiety, students taking their own lives. Right. We are at an all-time high, and that is on the rise right. in boys and in girls. And we know, it's a sad truth, but students between the age of 10 and 24 years of age, the students who are taking their own lives is the second law leading cause of death right now. Wow. Um, I will tell you that we know that depression is an increasing at an alarming rate, right? We know that one in five teens are suffering from clinical depression. And, you know, these stressors as to the reason why, why are kids feeling so stressed? Yeah. It's actually just a really, really long list. Yeah, it is. Right? But we also know that much of this also is impacted by their experience in school, right? Okay. Am I going to get into college? Right. What's, what am I going to do after high school? Sure. Not having some of these answers and the incredible amount of pressure kids are feeling in right. school right. is impacting this, these issues of depression. And by the way, there's the typical relationship issues that we've always struggled with, but that has also been amplified just due to the social media scene. Right. Oh, right? without a doubt. As kids are attached to these phones, it makes a difference in terms of when they go to bed worrying about what's going to happen in the wee hours of the night related to who's going to say something about them, somebody they know, and the impact they're going to see the next day in school. It's dramatic and something that we can understand, but it is very, very real. Right. And it's something we should pay attention to. Okay, so Jeff, what are the implications as far as this podcast is concerned? Well, we both agreed that when we, we entered into this podcast, we knew that we weren't going to be solving the issues yeah. of education. Right. We are going to be talking about them. And right. We're talking about leading them. But in the meantime, coming up with solutions between you and I staring at each other, that's not going to happen. <laughs> However, you know, we do know that solutions come via discourse. So the right. concept here is to bring these issues to the table to discuss them. To so, the listeners. Yeah. To the listeners. And I think it's just highlighting some of the opportunities right. that are out there. And I actually think when I focus on that number one issue, for example, I think there are opportunities. I think there are things we can do to improve the system so students are not just safe, but they feel safe. And I think there are things we can do to support kids relative to issues of anxiety and that social and emotional challenge that they're going through. So what I would recommend is we just continue to bring that forward. I would right. say that we should focus some of our future shows, our very next shows, on that number one issue I described right. relative right. to safety. I think it's a, it's a worthy topic, and I think the listeners deserve to hear about it, and I know that I want to talk about it. All right. Well, that's what we'll do. Thanks, Jeff. Great Absolutely. episode. Thank you, Jason. Education with Jeff Rose, hosted by Jason Pace and Jeff Rose, and recorded at Serendipity Labs in Alpharetta, Georgia. We are produced and edited by Carson Pace. Our theme music is by Full Year of Panic. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next week.